guess we'll um, just get started. Do you mind telling um, everyone or introducing your role um, kind of with the county and your role in the Southern Resident Recovery Program? Sure. Um, my name is Frances Robertson, and I am the Marine Program Coordinator for the county. Um, and I essentially lead the Southern Resident Killer Whale Recovery Program. Um, and I do this with the support of the Environmental Resources Manager, Kendra Smith. So we work um, very much as a partnership, building off each other's strengths in marine mammal science, restoration ecology, and resource management. Awesome. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into this position? My background. So I'm a marine mammal scientist by training. Um, I, let's see, where do I start? Uh, I did my undergrad and my master's at the University of Aberdeen in Scotland, where actually I had my first killer whale um, encounters when I did my undergraduate research thesis work in Johnson Strait with Northern Resident. Um, since then, I moved on to uh, working in the seismic survey industry as a marine mammal observer. It was a great way to pay off student loans. Um, it also, you know, opened other doors, including my um, opportunities for my PhD. And for that, I worked in the Arctic, in the Alaskan Arctic, um, studying the behavioral responses of bowhead whales to seismic surveys. Um, I've done a fair amount of work around the islands as well. I was involved in a in a vessel impact study in 2005 for killer whales, southern resident killer whales, and that's really what brought me to the islands and introduced me to the islands here. And since then, I've also been involved in a minke whale research program, and that's probably what most people around here know me best for. Um, yeah, so I have a wide ranging background in mostly in studying um, the behavioral reactions of cetaceans to human activities. Um, and I was working on my postdoc with SMRU Consulting, mostly here in Friday Harbor. Um, and the opportunity came up with the county. Uh, so I jumped on it. Very nice. Yeah, that's, that's cool that you have so many um, different studies that you've done. Do you think that studying so many different types of species in different areas has helped you to kind of um, develop as a policy implementer or as a scientist? Definitely. Um, I think, you know, having the opportunity to work on a wide range of different species and also um, in a wide range of different locations. So I've worked in the North Sea, uh, Gulf of um, Mexico, um, done work, of course, around here in the Northeast Pacific, in the Arctic, on the East Coast of Canada. Um, I've also been involved in policy work regarding uh, marine mammal mitigation regulations for New Zealand. Um, you know, I think your experiences really help shape you as a scientist. They help shape you in terms of under better understanding um, the different policies and um, management options that might be available, you know, what has worked um, in some places, what has not worked in some places, how can you apply your knowledge to your location and the species? Um, you know, I think a lot about right now about impacts of vessels on cetacean behavior, for example, um, 
And I know that from both my, my own research and also that of many others all over the world, we've now got a 20-year body of knowledge that um, you know, really helps us better understand how these animals are uh, reacting to the presence of vessels, what the implications of that might be, um, and how we might be able to mitigate those impacts also. Absolutely. Um, I know that you were the one that kind of implemented the whale watch flags within the San Juan Islands. Can you tell us a little bit about that program and how it came to fruition and why it's important? Sure. So I sort of, um, well, the whale warning flag program, I rather inherited the program when I joined the county in 2018. But it had been an idea that was brought forward by a member of the Marine Resources Committee. So this is a committee of um, uh, volunteer citizens in the county who help guide uh, policy recommendations for marine resource use in the county. Um, and so this member, Ivan Rafe, a, a local whale watch operator, had learned about the use of the flag in British Columbia and how there it had been introduced to warn boaters about humpback whales. Um, so when I joined the county, there was some effort underway to try and design our own flag. But because of my previous work in British Columbia, I reached out to contacts there and to the people that I knew who had implemented this flag there, um, Jackie Hildering, specifically with the uh, Marine Education and Research uh, Society, and asked, you know, is there any way we could use the same flag design? And Jackie, without hesitation said, whatever you do, you must use the same design because we really want a consistent message throughout the coast and to use anything else would simply undermine the communication um, tool that the flag is for, for boaters. So we did use the same design. Um, we managed to receive a small grant from the Northwest Straits Foundation that helped us launch the program and with that we bought 500 flags to give out to boaters um, around the county. Um, it seeded the system, so to speak. Uh, we created some clear, concise um, instruction material to be distributed with the Be Well Wise leaflets with every flag. Um, and, and then we also coordinated um, and collaborated with Soundwatch to collect data on, on vessel counts and compliance levels. Um, because things got a little late in starting in 2018, um, we added another year to our pilot study. So in this pilot okay. study, we're really trying to assess the effectiveness of the flag to see, is it really an effective tool? Um, and all indications so far are that it, it does seem to um, have the, the, uh, the effect that we're, we're looking for. And we're still processing data, but... Um, Fingers crossed on that. It's definitely been well received by boaters, both um, professional whale watch operators and also the recreational users as well. Very nice. So do the, I know the whale watch boats pretty much all have them, or at least that's what I've seen. Do recreational boats have access to those as well? They do. So we were handing out um, these uh, first flags um, free of charge. Um, and then we also supplemented the flag supply last year and we added a larger size flag based on feedback that we'd got um, in some of our some of the social surveys that we've been conducting as part of this study also. 
So um, by the end of 2019, we've actually distributed um, just over a thousand flags to boaters throughout the region. Nice. Uh, we were doing this. Wow. Yeah, we were doing this at the Seattle Boat Show, the Anacortes Boat Show, out on the docks in the summer. Um, we've had them available for mail order, so people just write to me and say, "I would like, you know, X number of flags." Um, and yacht clubs order them as well, and so they're available now for a small charge. Um, but it's not okay. not a charge that is is um, you know off putting to a lot of boaters. I think the small flags are fifteen dollars, and the the larger ones are twenty dollars. So excellent. Yeah. Um, so if there are people listening that want to purchase these flags, where, like, do they just send you an email or how would they access that? You can drop me an email, mrc at sanwoncow.com. Awesome. That's really yeah. cool. Um, yeah. So I know the last time um, that we had talked, you were telling me about some different findings that you had. And I was really surprised to find out um, how many people were unaware of the regulations or no I think it was you said that um, the it's like just as many locals and visitors are unaware of the issues I do you mind telling us a little bit about that or refreshing my memory sure. on that um, I'm still processing the data from 2019 but based on the 2018 survey data we um, found that in general the vast majority of respondents to our social surveys um, reported that they were aware of the BWL-wise guidelines and regulations, and most of those thought that they could implement them. But what gets really interesting is when you drill down and ask them, okay, so what is the distance that you need to stay away from, from killer whales? Uh, only about 50% of those got it correct. And, and when we broke it out between residents and visitors, there wasn't a huge difference between between the two there was a slight slightly more um i think it was like 60 percent of the the locals um managed to get the right distance but only about 50 percent of the visitors did so so that was um you know that's telling me at least that that despite uh gosh almost 20 years of of on the water and off the water education, transboundary education through the Be Whale Wise program, we're still struggling to um, really get the right messages across to recreational boaters so that they know what to do when they're out in their boat around um, whales or if they come upon whales when they're boating. So Absolutely. We, have some, we, have some, um, we still have some work left to do. For sure. Uh, is there anything like with boating licenses that require recreational people or recreational boaters to know um, about the whales or anything like that? Uh, so there has not been, except um, last year in the Washington State Legislative Session, um, our Senator Liz Lovelett did manage to get that bill passed, and I, I can't remember the bill number, but um, that now when you take your boater, your Washington State boater's license test, it must um, also include information on whales and the vessel regulations surrounding whales. So basically best boating practices around whales. Unfortunately, that okay. doesn't get to all the people that already have their boater licenses and it happens to be something that you don't need to renew. So there's, there's again, there's still some work to be done 
there to really help try and get this message out to as many voters as we can. Absolutely. Um, how do you guys plan to combat that? Or I don't know if you've gotten that far in the process or not. Um, that is a really good question. You know, I think we'll be uh, we'll be back at the boat shows um, in 2020. Uh, that's courtesy of the Northwest Marine Trade Association and George Harris, who's been a great supporter of uh, this effort um, this past year. But, um, you know, I think we'll be looking at the messaging going into um, into the next few years. There's certainly um, it gets challenging because the regulations in Canada are a little bit different. Uh, than those mm -hmm. in in Washington State, so there's still um, kind of a, a lack of consistency on either side of the border, and that's very confusing to to general voters. But I think really we need to start trying to figure out how do we just get that best voting practices message across to to voters, just to make them aware that okay, we're in the Salish Sea, we're in whale waters, we need to be aware. Kind of like I use the analogy. Um, in the islands, uh, you know, and around Anacortes and Port Townsend and these areas in Puget Sound where we've got a very high deer population driving around, it's second nature for us to be, you know, on the lookout for deer on the side of the road because you don't want to hit a deer. It doesn't do right. either the deer or your car any good. So, um, you know, that's the same same kind of, of behavior that we need to be applying when we're out on a boat. Um, we just always need to be on the lookout, especially as we're seeing increases in the numbers of humpback whales using the inland sea as well. Um, and certainly colliding with a humpback is going to do probably your boat a lot more damage and potentially yourself as well. Um, so there is a boater safety angle um, to, to this outreach and education also. So it's, it's protecting the whales and also protecting the both the people as well. Absolutely, yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Um, so, what projects are you currently working on? What projects am I currently working on? Um, too many. <laughs> Let's see. So we're just wrapping up the um, the Be Whale Wise. Um, study of effectiveness so that report should be due out in, early in the new year um our big one going forward is that we're working on a marine spatial planning effort um, that is really attempting to identify um quiet zones as foraging areas for southern resident killer whales off the west side of san juan island it's really an effort where we're trying to marry science um, with social values as well. So and we're working with Dr. Erin Ash from Oceans Initiative to identify the high priority foraging habitat um, for the whales and also with um, Dr. Jason Wood from SMU Consulting to better understand the soundscape of the area and the impacts of various different small vessel activities on this soundscape. Um, but I think really the most important part is that we'd, we'll be engaging with, with community user groups to better understand how these um, um, different users are accessing the area and what's important to them about these areas. 
to see if we can find some sort of common ground that would allow for um, additional management tools to be implemented by our federal and state partners who ultimately have jurisdiction over the water. Um, but, you know, we would like to see if there's any way that we can find a way to protect or um, provide the whales some space, um, quiet space to forage when mm -hmm. they're in the area. So just something a little nice. more thought, thoughtfully um, to try and come up with 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 options that that incorporate all the different, uh, you know, different different values. Anything else that you would want people to know or anything else that you care to share with people who are interested in, you know, learning more about the residents or getting more involved or just anything really? Um, okay. But thanks again for taking the time. You know, we really appreciate it and appreciate your dedication to the whales and everything as well. Um, and making sure that we're informed sure. as, you know, in the public. I, I don't, um, so I was, I've been reading Monica Shields book about, um, it's called Endangered Orcas about the whales. And, um, she basically articulates that there's kind of three major threats, which is vessel noise, um, the salmon, like, or depletion of prey, um, and then, uh, toxins in the water. What can we mm -hmm. do as individuals to kind of combat those issues? No, well, these are three very big issues, and these issues were identified as the primary threats to the recovery of the population when NOAA listed them. Um, well, actually, when Canada listed them in, in 2001 as endangered on the SARA registry, and when NOAA followed suit and listed them under the Endangered Species Act in 2005. Um, so, you know, some of them are... In terms of vessels, you know, we think about, okay, well, how can we try and minimize our own impact as vessel users while mm -hmm. just being more aware? Um, there's been some very successful or pretty successful um, initiatives that have been launched by the Port of, uh, Port of Vancouver through their ECHO program to have ocean-going vessels slow down through Harrow Strait, which has reduced the um, ambient noise levels in the strait. Um, so that work can be found on the Echo, Port of Vancouver Echo website. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that now the Port of Seattle are thinking about implementing something similar themselves. So there are some innovative um, measures that are going in to try and mitigate the impacts of um, vessel noise and also vessel disturbance. Um, like some of the, the programs that actually came out of the county locally um, in collaboration with other groups like the whale museum was the kelp program so the kayak education and leadership program to try and mm -hmm. mitigate the impacts of large uh or both private um recreational kayaks but also the larger commercial groups on whales foraging off the west side um and this has been you know where community engagement has been really key uh, when it comes to things like toxins, I think on a personal level, we can just start being a bit more aware of the products that we're using and the products that we're we're buying. We do not need to be using Roundup in our yards, for example. Um, you know, we can think a little bit more about the kinds of products that we're using for 
personal hygiene and for um, detergents in the house and that cleaning products, for example. Um, one of the other initiatives that the, the Marine Resources Committee launched last year was the Plastic Sea Salish Sea Initiative, where they're really trying, we're really trying to, um, to encourage people to use uh, less um, single-use plastics and highlight the impacts of these of these um this sort of waste stream on on both the terrestrial and the marine environment and particularly the marine environment because of the impacts of things like microplastics so and in terms of salmon you know let's get out and support local habitat restoration work we have so much going on in the county um, people don't really often think about the county as being important for salmon but it turns out that San Juan County's um, nearshore habitat is really crucial for um, rearing uh, juvenile salmon. Um, we've got areas that are particularly important to Fraser River Chinook as well as Skagit River Chinook. We also have, um, you know, eelgrass habitats and kelp beds that are equally important to different species of forage fish. Um, also, so you know, getting out and trying to help with restoration efforts, with forage fish spawning surveys that are going on this winter with friends of the San Juans, for example, these are great ways to get involved on the ground um, and start making a difference because there's a ripple effect. So, you know, when you get involved in something and you get excited about doing something, then you share that with your friends, with your families, and your your small effort can then go on and perhaps influence someone else to get involved as well. And that's the ripple. And so what we want to see is we want to see all these individual ripples create a larger wave of change. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's definitely, I've, seen an impact in some of my family members behavior based on you know my passion for the environment and i think that's something we don't often consider um and i think if everybody makes a little change you know it adds up to something it may not be monumental but it's still something um so mm -hmm. yeah i'd like that for sure um have you had any particularly meaningful experiences with the southern residents you know, I was just thinking about that question this morning, and I remembered uh, an experience that um, I had while out with one of the NOAA research crews um, back in 2005. And so this was a year where there had been a number of reports of southern resident killer whales harassing harbor porpoise. And I think, I think you know, J26 was particularly prone to this behavior and had actually even you know, brought over the sadly um, dead harbour porpoise uh, to two other research boats at the time also. Um, they just appeared to kind of be playing with them. And of course, it didn't end well for the porpoise at all. But in this particular, um, this particular uh, example, we were out and we received a report of a group of southern residents, and I don't remember who it was now, but they were in the presence of a porpoise. And when we got there, we realized that it was a particularly tiny porpoise and it, it was a calf. And actually it turned out to be a, a newborn calf, what we call a neonate. And so um, 
And after observing it for a while, it became pretty apparent that the mother of this porpoise calf was nowhere to be seen. So we don't know what happened to her. Um, it kind of looked as though this porpoise was, you know, trying to figure out who it should be with, because it certainly wasn't trying to flee from these larger whales. It would keep coming back to them, and it was almost like a slight irritant to these larger whales. At one point, a yeah. very large adult female came rostrum to rostrum with this tiny porpoise car and vocalized loudly, and we could hear it over the water. Um, and it, it was, you know, it was, it was quite something to see. But eventually these whales left the car um, and it was sort of left on its own and it became really clear that this animal wasn't going to make it. It was just far too tiny. You could see it still mm -hmm. see the fetal folds on the side of it. Um, its mm -hmm. dorsal fin was still curved over. So this was hours, hours old. Um, so we stayed with it. Unfortunately, it didn't make it. But um, it was a pretty fascinating observation of an interaction between two very different species. So I think that's one of the most memorable um, sort of experiences that I've had with the whales out here. That's really cool. Did you happen to have a hydrophone in the water at the time? You know, I, I don't think we did have a hydrophone in the water at the time. We did get um, photographs, of course. Um, we, I do remember okay. that we named the porpoise Plucky. Seemed like Plucky. an appropriate name for the poor thing. Plucky the porpoise. Cute. Yeah. Oh, so cute. Um, yeah, that's, that's adorable. The reason I asked about the acoustics is because I'm curious to, to see if we could match that up with acoustics that are associated with different behaviors and maybe try to understand what the whale was doing. Um, but that's probably a very unique instance. So I don't know that we would have anything to compare it to. Um, mm -hmm. but that's fascinating. Poor little porpoise, but that like, you yeah, know, it's interesting that they chose Oh, sorry, go they ahead. They really get the raw, I was just going to say, they really get the raw end of the deal. You know, they're, they're, they're used as beach toys by dolphins, bottlenose dolphins in Scotland quite regularly. Um, they've also been found to be uh, predated on by gray seals um, in in Europe. So, you know, it's it's just, yeah, it's for porpoise. Right. Oh, so sad. Yeah, we, we've noticed that. We kind of have a joke that the porpoises are puntable because they like frequently get flung in the air by by the orcas that we see. So those poor things. I wonder if it's ever the intent to kill them or if it just accidentally went a little bit too far. But I suspect with southern residents, it's it's they, you know, they just maybe don't. I, there's never been any they're not certainly not doing it to eat them or prey on them in any way it it does very much mm -hmm. seem like they're just it's a, a play thing so but it's nice. still we still don't fully understand that behavior let's see um i think you know people need to do uh they need to take responsibility for their actions um you know, take the time to learn how their actions might be impacting these animals and the wider environment as well. Um, you know, if you mm -hmm. like to fish, well, maybe think about what your impact might be on other species out there who are also trying to fish, especially when numbers are so low. Um, 
you know, maybe make a personal choice. You know, maybe I'm not going to fish off the west side. Uh, maybe I'll decide to fish somewhere else. Um, personal choices like, do I really need helium balloons? Um, and if I do, let's not use them outside in case they get released. Um, so I, I think that there does need to be, we need to take more responsibility for our actions and just be a little more conscious about about our own behaviors and what those impacts are on on others. Um, I think keeping up the pressure on our uh, state and federal regulators is certainly not a bad thing at all. You know, our salmon recovery work is is, is really sorely underfunded still. Um, and if we're going to make inroads in salmon um, restoration, uh, we need to see those projects, you know, fully funded um, if it's going to make a difference. Um, I think I would really love to see more collaboration and less divisiveness in in all aspects. I find, you know, I think people have got their camps as to what they believe is the issue with Southern residents. And unfortunately mm -hmm. it's led to, to probably deeper divisions than, than were ever intended. And, and I think the, the unintended consequences are that, that we're not necessarily working together for the, for the greater good of these this endangered species. Um, you know, I, I think we need to, instead of, playing the blame game with different groups. Um, let's come together and find out how do we, how do we find a middle ground to really make a difference? Yeah, Because absolutely. if we don't, uh, we're going to lose these animals. So. And that would be icon. a shame considering all the yeah. attention that they get, you know, and how much, how many resources are put into these animals. I've never seen another species that so many people and, you know, governments are dedicated to. So um. it, that's true. I mean, the North Atlantic right whale is probably one that is comparable, but it's certainly true. And I, but I think, you know, the real, the real crux of it is these animals have a huge cultural importance to um, all sorts of different people for all sorts of different reasons. And I think, you know, we need to incorporate that recognition of that cultural importance um, into, into, our, into our conservation efforts rather than, um, you know, the, this, the social side of conservation sometimes gets rather dismissed and maybe that's why we're not seeing um, the the progress that we need to be seeing so yeah i absolutely would agree with that and um, supporting the science you know that's another one that's huge is we need to support good science and there is some absolutely incredible science that is going on to try and um better understand you know what are the impacts to these whales and these impacts they change as well so what we knew 10 years ago might be quite different now based on both what we've learned in that 10 years, but also because of other things that come in and, and interact with original 
threats. So now we have to contend with climate change and the impact of climate change and, and marine heat waves on, on the food supply. So it's not quite as straightforward as saying, well, we know everything there is to know about impact of vessels or toxins or whatever. Um, it's a continual iterative learning process. Um, and the, the better that we know, the better we can manage and mitigate and, and hopefully recover these animals. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I definitely appreciate you sharing and, you know, um, oh, actually I do have one last question. Where, what resources would you recommend for people to find the best science out there? Hmm. What resources would I recommend? Um, I, I know think, the Whale Museum uh, has a website and like, you know, Center for Whale Research. Are there other places that like, you know, besides those um, ones that are particularly good for, you know, really solid science? Well, you know, I think uh, the NOAA work is certainly solid um, and, and that is all on the NOAA website. It's sometimes a little hard to, to find on that website, but um, um, I think the Northwest Fisheries Science Center should have links to all of their Southern Resident Killer Whale efforts. Oceans Initiative is another good source, um, so certainly check, check there. Um, those would be those would be some of the the core ones I think related to Southern residents. So. Excellent. Excellent. Well, do you have any other final thoughts? I don't think so. I think I said a lot. Okay. No, you definitely did. You were. This was very informative. I think people will learn a lot, and you know, hopefully, this will inspire people to go check out you know different articles and opportunities to get involved within the community um so i really yeah, appreciate and I think, it you know, um, for those for those people who are listening maybe down in the seattle area another great group especially for kids is killer whale tales so you know start them young if you want to make a yes. difference get the kids engaged sure. and killer whale tales is a fabulous um fabulous uh group who do that Awesome. Thanks. Awesome. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.